Welcome to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Christy Anderson of Syracuse University, who is the author of the 2010 book, New Immigrant Communities, Finding a Place in Local Politics. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and I'm talking to Christy Anderson of Syracuse University today. Christy, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. It's a real pleasure to read your uh, book, New uh, Immigrant Communities, Finding a Place in Local Politics. I've had the real pleasure to read the book, and I'm sure that other people have read it. Um, But before we get to the actual meat of the book, maybe you can just uh, tell us all just a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you've been before. Um, Who are you? Well, I am uh, currently the Chapel Family Professor of Citizenship and Democracy at Syracuse, and I've been here in the Maxwell School at Syracuse University for 28 years, I think. I taught for a little while at Ohio State before that, got my Ph.D. at University of Chicago. Um, this book uh, is was a new kind of uh, area for me. I, a long time ago, wrote a dissertation and then a book about uh, the New Deal realignment and argued that uh, the creation of that new Democratic majority was in part due to pulling in people who hadn't been in the electorate before, in particular immigrants and immigrants' children in the 1920s and 1930s. So I was sort of interested in that process, in the process of how new Americans, new people, new, young people, immigrants and so on, women who had just gotten the right to vote were were um, brought into the active electorate. And um, I had gone away from that research, you know, program and was doing other things, but but got increasingly interested in current immigrants as immigration rose in the, uh, you know, late 90s and early 2000s. And so it, uh, I increasingly wanted, was curious about what was happening, particularly in terms of political parties and politics and uh, pulling people into the electorate with regard to the people who were now uh, migrating to the United States. So that was the origin of thinking about, not not really the book, but of thinking about current immigration and the politics of immigration. Yeah, and, and let, let's talk about the book. And, you know, I always like to start with the uh, most obvious starting point, which is just simply the title. And I think the title actually does describe um, literally what your book is, but but also some of what your take is on on the subject and sort of the the after the after the colon finding a place in local politics I think says something about kind of what your thesis is so in terms of your your starting point for this project uh, one of the things that I really liked about the book um, was that you were not focused on some of the well-known immigrant cities. Um, there have been a lot written about New York and Los Angeles and a handful of other big cities, but you approach this in a slightly different way, and you, you chose six different cities to focus your research. So how did you choose these six, and why did you choose these six? Why were these good cases for you to investigate? Well, first of all, as you say, the, the traditional immigrant gateways, uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami, have have been studied and those are um, those are a particular sort of environment for immigrants in particular um, because they all have huge immigrant populations even a very narrow group so Dominicans in New York for example or Salvadorians in Los Angeles there are lots of them and they tend to be living close together 
Um, this provides um, a particular kind of political context. It makes um, politicizing them perhaps easier. Um, it makes them a potential, uh, or that group, once they attain citizenship, a potentially, um, t they, they have potential power politically because they're a, they're a group in a particular political geographic area and so forth. And, and many of the, not only political scientists have studied uh, immigrants in these traditional gateway cities, but this has been the focus of many sociological studies as well. So we understand uh, quite a lot and uh, based on years of research on immigrants coming to these established immigrant places in a way. And so I was interested just in how it works elsewhere. I was particularly, I had become interested in Syracuse, which is a, a, um, a city which has hosted a lot of refugees starting in the um, 1970s with Vietnamese and then a whole uh, bunch of Bosnian uh, refugees or people from the former Yugoslavia and then more recently Burmese and uh, Somalians and a whole, lots of different um, Africans and Southeast Asian immigrants. Um, so uh, a graduate student and I did a sort of qualitative study of some of the organizations in Syracuse that um, worked with immigrants and refugees. And from that, I got some funding and decided to design a study focusing on cities, roughly the, that, the sort of cities that Syracuse was. And I, how I selected them is really to, to look at the census data and find cities uh, and I don't remember exactly what the population parameters are, but, um, you know, certainly less than a million, over a couple hundred thousand. Um, I wanted cities that were comparable in terms of the recent immigration that they had, you know, the, the trends of immigration. But I wanted cities that differed in the types of immigrants and the types of immigration. So the cities are Syracuse, Lansing, Michigan, uh, Waco, Texas, Fort Collins, Colorado, um, Chico, California, and Spokane, Washington. And some of those have uh, large refugee populations like Syracuse, Spokane, Lansing. Others are uh, mostly uh, Mexican immigrants, uh, Fort Collins and Waco. Um, and the cities vary in terms of uh, their economic situations and uh, other things too. So I wanted to, I'm not really able to generalize, but I wanted to get a sense of what the factors were that shaped the reception of the immigrants and how they settled into the cities and how they became or didn't become involved in politics. Yeah, I spent time um, now in New York City with, with this very traditional um, immigrant story, but spent time in, in Virginia. And Virginia's more recent immigrant story is, is so very different, but also I think very interesting. I think your, your book, by taking on these, these uh, different cities, uh, does a really interesting job of telling a story that you know, maybe isn't um, always told to, uh, to the same uh, extent. Um, so moving on a little bit, um, you have a chapter about the role of political parties, and this, this relates, it sounds like, to some previous research that you've done. But in uh, 2013, there's a very high level of interest in immigrants. But you, you kind of argue in the book that this always hasn't been the case. So maybe you can just sort of summarize a little bit. Uh, what has the history of um the major parties in mobilizing immigrants been, and how would you characterize that attitude today in, in contrast? Well, the, the parties have, and I, I'm looking, I, I guess I would say parties 
are multifaceted organizations. I'm not necessarily talking about national parties, but parties mm-hmm. at local and state levels have, have, I guess, reached out to and mobilized immigrants historically when it was to their advantage to do so. Um, there's a really, one of the best books about this is by Stephen Erie called Rainbow's End, and uh, he talks about, he's basically talking about Irish in politics, but really immigrants in general um, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And um, so when parties like in New York City were in, in the 19th century were in competitive situations, then it behooved a party to, you know, as in our stereotypes, meet the boats, <laughs> you know, when they came mm-hmm. to Ellis Island and, and get people jobs and uh, give them baskets of food and help them become citizens and so forth. But when the, uh, to take again the example of New York, when Tammany Hall was dominant later on, when the, the post-Irish immigrants arrived in New York, you know, they weren't really that concerned about uh, uh naturalizing or, or integrating the immigrants and getting them to, to be supporters of that party. They didn't really need them. So I think parties are self-interested organizations, and um, this is what I found in, the, in my study. In these cities, these immigrants, I mean, it's more complicated than that because in these particular cities, the immigrant groups often weren't big enough to provide much of an advantage to parties in, in, to, to get them registered and mobilized and everything. But, but basically, um, parties in more recent years, local political parties in more recent years, have uh, not necessarily seen immigrants um, as, uh, as benefiting their parties. I mean, it, and there are several reasons I say that. One is that... Um, in order to, if you, if you're, you as a party, your party decision makers are thinking about, um, adding new groups to your coalition, you have to think about the potential negative reaction of the groups you already have. So that's, that's one issue. The other issue is really just one of, um, uh, uh, kind of reducing uncertainty in a way. That is, parties, uh, if they have a coalition, uh, particularly if they're dominant in a particular area, uh, they know who they can rely on. They know what groups they can rely on. It, it's a lot of effort, time, money, initiative to get people, uh, certainly get people to be, become citizens and help them naturalize and then to get people to register and then to get them to vote for the party. And that adds, in a sense, uncertainty. If they don't need those people, they don't go after them. And that's what I found in these cities, that there wasn't much activity on the part of the parties. They, in most cases, they they were not the uh, naturalizers and registrars and mobilizers mm-hmm. of times past. And other people have found this to be the case as well. You know, now we see after the election of 2012 that there's and there always there has been you know organiza- there have been organizations who have worked and are working to um, register and get. And, and activate um, Hispanic voters in particular now. Yeah, and, and in some way, I think you referred to benign neglect at one point, but there there is this gap, and it seems like one of the arguments you're making is that into this gap steps community organizations. Um, so how well have community organizations you know, provided for recent immigrants with links to civic life, um, 
a role that, that political parties, you know, whether they were self-interested in providing um, jobs, shelter, uh, access to public services, um, they were providing those those services and, and were able to, to um, provide for certain levels of assimilation. Are community organizations um, now providing that in these six cities? Were you able to find that this was happening to a greater extent in, in one of the cities than in others or in different ways? Um, y- well, I mean, all the various organizations, and they range from, you know, churches to um, organizations that are specifically created by immigrants to refugee resettlement agencies. Uh, So as a whole, these community organizations do provide support for for immigrants in various ways. You know, they provide translation. They provide help with negotiating the bureaucracy. They provide help in getting jobs. They provide English classes. All of these things that some of which political parties did help provide um, in years past. Um, so some of the changes is that, and people talk about the New Deal and the greater government role in providing social services that that came into being at that time as taking away some of the um, the capability of parties or the opportunity for parties to provide these uh, services to. To people, so a lot of these community organizations essentially act as uh, to help immigrants uh, connect to government services, government-provided services, or when those are lacking, they provide those services. So that's, but that's their uh, that's their mission, that's their goal. These these um, these community organizations, they obviously have different other goals, and some of the ones which are who are advocates have more political. Uh, aims, but unlike the political parties who were in a sense doing these things in a self-interested, as you say, way, they they were providing services in return for support, in return for votes um, and party activism. These community organizations are only occasionally doing that. I mean, they may be providing services and then hoping that the people that they're working with will turn out for a protest or help them in a letter-writing campaign, but it's not, their goals are not the same. They're not trying to get elected. So they're in a very different position than the parties uh, were or presumably are or could be right now. And so their, their political socialization, if you want to use that term, of these new citizens um, or non-citizens, I mean, those people are served too, as well, um, is very different uh, than the political socialization of immigrants by parties. I think I'm being kind of confusing here. Yeah. No, no, I think, no, no, I, I, I think this is, this is uh, right on. And one of the things that I think makes sort of explaining these issues is, is, um, Sort of in, outside of the academy, there is a, a hyper focus on voting. Right. And one of the reasons that's um, well, there are obvious reasons why though why there's that hyper focus. But one of the one of the harmful aspects of that, and and you note this in in your book, is what that tends to do is is leave out lots of other forms of uh, political participation, and that's particularly important for for immigrants because some portion 
don't have voting rights. Now, they have lots of political rights, but they may not have voting rights. And so um, it seems to me that that's sort of a big part of what, what your book and, and other related books are trying to grapple with is, is to make sense of, you know, the numbers that, that some immigrant groups vote at very low levels, but what does it mean about their larger political forms of uh, political participation? Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you about is, and, and it comes up in the book, is something that's been happening, I guess it's been happening for a long time, but, but it, it happened in, in the course of the last couple of years, is some very, very um, hostile uh, legislative moves and some very hostile anti-immigration sentiments in, in many of the, the uh, parts of the country. Um, how does that interact with, with what you study? Um, were you uh, having conversations and interviews with some of these um, civic organizations um, where they identified that as a, as a major challenge they were facing? What's the, how does that work into this, this larger story that you're telling? Well, in these particular places, it, those, um, those hostile legislative and political moves and just the hostile, you know, kind of cultures that the immigrants had to deal with in these various cities had uh, sort of uh, inc- just two very different impacts in a sense. I, I, was, I heard about and talked to people about um, those sorts of contexts really dampening the possibilities for getting immigrants involved. You know, that they, there was I was told repeatedly that, you know, even if um, person X is not an illegal or undocumented immigrant, he or she probably has, almost certainly has, family, friends, other people in their community who are, they don't want to come to the city hall and and sit at a town or, you know, a city council meeting. They don't want to necessarily join a protest. All of these things are potentially dangerous. So that... Mm -hmm. Um, that hampers the ability sometimes of uh, community organizations, advocacy organizations, to get people mobilized and get people active. On the other hand, there were a number of incidents, uh, some of which I talk about in the book, I think, where um, anti-immigrant behaviors, um, I think I remember in Chico where people burned down an immigrant um, farm stand or something, really got people immigrants and their allies and their supporters, which is an interesting point, um, upset and mobilized and in in some cases brought about uh, policy or legislative changes which were uh, favorable to help the immigrant community. One of the, and and I, it sounds to me like you may be drawing on, on some of this, but you mentioned towards the end of the book that you uh, convened a one-day workshop where you invited practitioners from the different cities that you'd focused on to Washington, D.C. Um, how did you integrate that into the book? Um, how did that work? Uh, was this a, a big event? Were these sort of uh, focus groups? You, you mentioned that you discussed some of the preliminary findings of the book. How did you use that as a researcher to, to help tell the larger story of, of the book project? Well, that, that was really an interesting um, uh, thing that happened. I, it, it came about, I hadn't intended for that to be necessarily part of the book. I mean, I certainly had, you know, talked to some of these people, and, you know, they people knew I was working on a book project, but 
um, what happened was I had some research money left over. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I There were several of my colleagues who were also interested in this, including a graduate student who had worked with me doing interviews, and um, we decided to have, it was not a big event, it was very small, it was probably 15 people um, from these various cities who could come and spend a day, day and a half in Washington at Syracuse University facility there. And... Um, we, it, it wasn't, it was fairly structured. So we had ideas that we wanted them to talk about or con- concepts that we wanted them to talk about. But, but in, and so as part of the book, I, um, in the end of the book, I wanted to generalize a little bit about what I had found, what the patterns were and where, what sorts of conditions seemed to produce uh, better political integration or less good political integration of immigrants. But, I also wanted, in the end, after I spent this time with these folks, to use their wisdom, in a sense, and use their experiences to talk about, from the point of view of these organizations, immigrant organizations, what made sense, what what were their challenges, what were their successes, what were the problems that they had managed to solve. And so that's the other part of the end of the book, or the other conclusion is really letting these people talk about um, their own specific experiences and, and political efforts. Yeah, and you make, you, you're very clear throughout the entire book that based because of the method you chose, the, the goal was here was not to provide largely, uh, you know, was not to generalize widely from the findings. But you do have a story to tell, and there are some lessons. Um, if they're not statistical generalizations, they are, they are lessons. I wonder if you could summarize those. Um, what do we take away from this, from these, these six days, even if we're just you know, generalizing to these six? What, what, is the, what is the big story that you have to tell here? Well, some of the story is um, about ways that you can sustain civic engagement, that you... You you want people to be active, you know, and your point about voting or other forms of participation is well taken because they mostly weren't necessarily talking about voting. They were talking about getting people to understand the civic terrain, getting people to understand the pol- the local uh, and state politics. Um, so how do you get people, particularly young people, they were interested in getting them engaged in politics so what we got very specific what kind of communications methods worked i mean did these people want to be emailed or did you meet them at their churches do they like newsletters how do you get people to be active and to be engaged and um they talked a lot about strategic planning you know they didn't want to which is common to every organization. This is not, you know, something unique to these organizations. How do you sustain the organization? How do you not have leaders burn out? How, how do you have new generations of leadership? They also talked a lot. I felt one interesting conversation we had was how do you connect to um, local politics and local parties, and what do you? How do you make these um, links? And some of the people that were at this. Uh, at this little workshop, uh, one was a city council member. Others had run for office, uh, sometimes successfully. And um, they talked about uh, reaching out to political parties, making their positions known, um, 
you know, uh, trying to keep their agenda, the agenda of these immigrant groups, um, at the top of the local agenda. They talked about communicating with the press and, you know, building good relationships with people in the, in the, um, in the community and so forth. It was, so none of this was, in a way, um, unique or specific to, I mean, you could read all that and put it in a different context, put it in context of, uh, you know, how do you get young people in general to be active or how do you get marginalized groups in general to be active. It's not, I don't, some of it was specific to immigrants and their challenges, but, but it's really about, um, how do you build good community organizations which have an impact on the community? Yeah, yeah, no, and, you know, I, I think that's one of the interesting things, and there, there's sort of a, a number of people working on some similar issues, and I think one of the one of the uh, ideas is sort of, you know, what can we generalize to the larger population of civic organizations? What can we, you know, generalize to the larger population of youth voters? And so... For that reason, I think there's an awful lot to be learned from from this book. Well, one of the, uh, if I can, yes, one of the wonderful things that and, and very the things that I felt very good about about this this day and a half I found these people is they these folks are, all had you know tiny organizations running on a shoestring, always out of money, really working hard. They loved spending this time together, yeah. talking to each other, and getting some affirmation and support. That was just so. That's important, you know, to kind of reach out of your own organization, talk to other people, share ideas, and so forth. The other point I would make in response to your, you know, uh, what do you do to generalize this to other um, civic organizations and so on, is the importance of allies, the importance in this case of people who were established in the community, who were progressive groups, liberal groups, youth groups, um, universities were important, I, I argued, that they were they provided important uh, venues and uh, expertise and support and so on for a lot of these um, community organizations. So, so um, just being able to have support and get expertise from elsewhere and uh, being able to build alliances is important. Yeah. Now this book came out uh, a couple of years ago. What what's on your table now? Has anything come out subsequent to this? Are you still working on? this issue or have you shifted your focus at all? I am not working specifically on this issue. I'm some of my teaching is now more about immigration policy. So I've been mm-hmm. thinking about immigration policy. But uh my writing lately has actually regressed back to the New Deal. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm getting back mm-hmm. into into doing political history um a little bit now. Great. Well, uh, Christy, it was a real pleasure to, to read your book, New Immigrant Communities, Finding a Place in Local Politics. It's published from uh, Lynn Reiner in uh, 2010. I'm sure that it's available in all sorts of different places. Christy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. I really enjoyed it.